Let's pray. Lord, you are a good, good Father. Because it's who you are. You are our Father, our Heavenly Father. And we know that we are loved by you. Because this is love. That Christ himself would die for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. Not because we deserved it, but because you love us. And so, our Father, we pray that um, in knowing who you are and knowing who we are, that our hearts might be inclined to be given over to you and yielded to you and submissive to you as we now, um, with anticipation, invite you to speak into our lives from your word. Your word is truth. Your word's sharper than any two-edged sword. You will lay bare the intentions of our hearts. You will reveal to us where we are right and where we have gone astray. And I pray, O oh God, that our desire would be to please you in every way, to listen to your word, to respond to it, to grow from it, because you're a good, good father, and we are loved, loved, loved by you. So thank you for this time around your word. Thank you for its power to change our lives through the present work of the Spirit in our life. Thank you, God, for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, shortly after graduating from university, my first real major job was I was hired by a trust company to work in the income, property investments, and management department. So to put that in basic layman terms, I, my responsibility was to lease vacant office and retail space. And uh, I had uh, a paycheck coming in, which was very nice. I had a nice corner office in an office building where I could look at traffic and all kinds of things to spend my time. I had really nice people working over me, managers that were very nice to me. And there was not a lot of leasing going on. It was in the early 80s. You remember the interest rates were high, vacant space was quite, um, quite uh, prevalent. One day, um, the receptionist uh, contacts me by phone and says, I can't believe who's on the other end of the line. She said, the, um, the chairman of the trust company, and he wants to speak to you. You must be very important. And I said, well, you know, I was assuming that promotion was going to come, and, uh, you know, I, was, I didn't think it would come this early, but... Anyway, when I took the phone call, he says to me, how come so much of our office space and retail space is vacant? Your job is to fill it. And I said, well, you know how difficult it is out there right now and all of that. He said, I don't want to hear how difficult it is out there right now. I want to know what you're doing to lease space in our properties. I learned that day, at that moment, 
that uh, I wasn't really working so much for the nice managers in my office as I was working for this guy. He was the master. He was the big guy that I had to... Uh, and so he said, and what I want from you is a weekly report on what you're doing to fill vacant space in my properties. So at 24 years of age, I knew pretty much everything, and uh, I thought this will be no problem. So I grabbed the yellow pages, when there was yellow pages, and I decided to start at the very front of the, of the businesses and, and under the letter A and find businesses that I could steal from some other building and move to my building. So the first was account, accountants. So the first thing I saw was Pete Marwick and Associates. So I thought, you know, I know, how to, I know how to get through these receptionists who won't let you get to the person at the top and all that. I'll, uh, you just act like you're the best friend of the guy who owns the place and you're in. So I dialed the phone number of this accounting firm and said, can I please speak to Pete? And there was silence at the under, other end of the line. I, and she said, excuse me? Who, who is it you want to speak to? I said, Pete. Pete Marwick. And she says, is this a joke? I said, no. Can I please speak to your boss, Pete Marwick? Now, um, what I didn't know <laughs> is that William Barclay Pete founded Pete Associates in 1870 <laughs> in London, England. and merged in 1925 with Marwick and Mitchell, and in 1987 with, some of you know, K KPG or K KMG, uh, merged in, uh, with, now it's KPMG, the big accounting firm. And uh, So I knew who my master was, but I didn't have the savvy and the ability to actually carry out the responsibilities that I really had been given. Today I want to show you in the text where Christ handles us entirely differently than that. Christ is our master and we learn that from the text, but we also learn that he gives us the ability and the enablement to do what he asks us to do by filling us with his spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn today to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, down through chapter 6, verse 9. This is an amazing text that really teaches us who our, who our true master is in every area of our life, or at least the major areas of our life, and demonstrates to us that we can actually live the Christian life to its fullest in a way that pleases God because he will energize and empower us by his spirit. And he tells us how. So, starting in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Well, this is the word of God to us today, and uh, I want you to point out to you that the practical expectations and ramifications of this text are tied up in their ability for us to accomplish through our enablement from the Spirit of God. And that's how this text lays out. We, we've been following along on a journey here that is teaching us um, to walk worthy of our calling in the Lord. And this is, going, this is going to continue on with the practical realities and ramifications of what it means to have our address in Christ. This is for those people whose address is in Christ. What does your home look like? What does your marriage look like? What does the workplace look like when your address is in Christ? And this is what we're looking at this morning. What does it look like when you are dominated by the Spirit of Christ? He establishes here this section by saying, be very careful then how you live. Or the word there is really a translation of the word walk. This is not about casting a vision, a broad vision for our life, but this is about a discussion on every single step we make every day of our lives. It's to, broke, it's to be broken down into incremental realities. In each step I'm going to choose to make, each decision I'm going to do, each thought I'm going to have, be very careful 
how you do it. Be very careful that you live wisely according to the will of God. We set the GPS of our life to the will of God. Uh, as opposed to the foolishness and unwise ways of the world. There's a contrast all the time. You are being shaped by the world around you unless you are choosing to make steps each day of your life to follow the way of the Lord, to be transformed by the work of God in us. Now, it really comes down to this one major command that sets the agenda for all the rest that happens here in the text. And that command is this, do not get drunk with wine or on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is the critical phrase that establishes all the other abilities that we have that we're asked to, pre to present ourselves uh, to the Lord here uh, as we go forward. It, it is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, um, the community of Ephesus, about 250,000 people, a very important Roman colony, a, a, a trading center, a moderately wealthy area, but in particular, they were a party area, area, uh, area and a party community. Um, they worshipped the goddess Dionysus, the, the goddess of wine, and uh, so the wine flowed freely, and uh, so the community, when he was preaching to them or teaching to them or writing this letter to them, they knew exactly what he was talking about in the contrast of, of being drunk on wine versus being what he wanted them now to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Being drunk with wine so, so that now their, their thoughts were uh, under the influence and control of alcohol versus... What he's now telling them, in, in contrast to that, I want you to think about that picture, and I want you to completely, uh, com completely think oppositely of how you are now to be uh, under the control of Christ. The same way that wine and alcohol takes control of your life and your decisions and, and uh, you're under the influence of it. I want you to understand that you are called because you have the Spirit of God to be completely dominated, completely saturated, completely under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Now, he writes this as a command, and you're saying, wait a second, as a believer, I thought I had the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. When you came to know Christ at salvation, you received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. This is not that. This is that Holy Spirit, but now granted full range, full, full, complete control of your life. There's a cooperation that goes on between a, a man or a woman and God in respect to this be filled with the Spirit. In fact, it's written in the present tense. The verb is in the present tense. In other words, keep being filled because you were filled with Christ. Yesterday does not necessarily mean you're filled with Christ today or that you'll be filled with Christ tomorrow. Unless certain things are happening in your life, you will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have his presence, but you won't have his control. And the only way that we can live in a way that pleases God and follows the will of God is to be filled or being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something we say, well, that's, that's, that's nice, you know, the pastor, he better be filled with the Spirit. And I guess a few deacons, maybe they should be filled with the Spirit. But, but that's sort of an optional thing. I mean, as long as we have the Spirit, we've got salvation, we're going to heaven, how big a deal can it be? It's a command. It's a command of the Lord. 
You can't please God unless you take up this responsibility and this command. And there are really uh, sort of three major ways that we need to understand how this actually happens. Because you've no doubt heard this before, be filled with the Spirit. How does it happen? It's a walk, each step, one at a time, devoted to the Lord. But in what way? There are, there are three kind of important areas of our life that will determine whether or not there is any opportunity for us to be filled with the Spirit. And the first is this. Unless there is confession and repentance of sin, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. You cannot be entertaining and harboring sin, ongoing sin, in your life and be filled with the Spirit at the same time. It can't happen. You have to have, and this is, we're talking about a step. Be careful how you step. Be careful how you walk in every detail of your life. So this confession and repentance of sin means that I have to actually agree with God about my sin. I need to go to him. I need to confess it. I need to have that kind of a relationship with God, which is what we call short accounts with God. When I fail God through sin, I go to him. I confess that sin and I repent of it. In other words, I turn from it. Say, I'm not going to do that, Lord. By your strength, I'm not going to do that. There is no possible way that you can be filled with the Spirit even one day of your life if you are going to live in sin. It won't happen. And the reason that you look down at a text like this, and if people say, well, you know, wives, you got to submit to husband, and husband, you got to love your wife, and children obey their parents, and you're saying, I can't do any of that stuff. Well, if you aren't filled with the Spirit, you won't be able to. So, uh, secondly, it requires a surrendering of self. A surrendering of my way, a, a denial of self. When Jesus talked about salvation, he talked about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's how, he dis, that's how he talks about salvation. So to be filled with the Spirit, which means I'm controlled by God, I'm under the control of Christ, I'm following the will of God, I have to stop my own self-desires, my own choice to follow my own will and my own thing. I have to surrender myself day by day. It's a, it's a morning by morning reality. I get up in the morning and say, Lord, not I but Christ. This day is going to be about you. It's going to be, that, that's a, a starting point for the filling, filling of the Spirit. And then uh, thirdly, allowing God's word to saturate your thinking. As alcohol saturates the person and intoxicates them and leads them to debauchery, the word of God is saturating our lives and moving our thinking and shaping the way we think so that the step that I make is based upon the word and will of God. And in that way, I am practicing the presence and filling of the spirit of God. We've read elsewhere that the only way that transformation is going to take, take place in our lives is if we are renewed in our minds by the Word of God. So it's confession and repentance of sin, it's surrender of self, and it's saturation with the Scriptures. That's how filling, that's our cooperative part in how the Spirit takes total control of our life. And it's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment reality of our lives. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Think about it all the time. Lord, am I, am, I, am I doing what I need to be doing that I might be living according to the will of God and under your control? And if I do, 
There are certain characteristics. If you do, there are certain characteristics that will show up in your life. And that's where this text leads. There are three main ones that I want to point out today. I'm going to quickly go through two and spend most of our time on the third. And the first is this. Notice in verse 19, it says, here's what will happen. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You will be singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Three distinct characteristics of life under the influence of the Spirit of God. What the fullness produces. When you, you, you can tell if your tank is full, in other words. Unbridled joy that originates from your heart and spills out naturally out from your life. From the inward to the outward, when I'm filled with God, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm filled with the joy of the Lord, it naturally spills out to others and to the Lord. That's what I do. That's why it's the normal practice for us to come here on a Sunday morning and the first thing that we do with each other is spill out our joy, is to allow that what God has done for us, what, what God has done in our lives all week and the unbridled joy that has been building in our lives, we let that spill out as we sing and as we challenge each other with spiritual songs and hymns and, and, um, and uh, uh, psalms. That's what this is all about, to one another and to the Lord. Singing is the natural expression of a person under the influence of the Spirit of God. And a worship service provides that for us. So there's so much more to say about that. Uh, but unbridled joy, that, that's, a, that's one of the signs. The second is this. Notice what it says after that. Always, verse 20, giving thanks. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A continual gratitude to God who will remain true to his goodness even in the badness of a given moment. Say, well, I, you know, that's really tough being thankful for everything. Listen, that's why Paul wrote it very specifically. Being thankful to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. That name is significant there. Because, you know, we know in other places in the scripture, like Romans 8, 28, where it says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. All things work together for good. That means that there are some things in our lives that are really not that good, but we know because of the name of God, because of the name of Christ, which means he stays true to his name, who Jesus is and what Jesus will do never changes, that he has good purposes for us, that he is building us and growing us and whatever happens around us, whether it's in a, a circumstance that feels like badness, he will use it for goodness. And the reason that we can be thankful is because he's still in charge because he's still he's controlling the matter and so our thankfulness can spill out because we know that the name of Jesus Christ he puts on the line on behalf of his children for his glory and our goodness that's why we can remain thankful even in the tough times and when you are filled with the Spirit of God you're filled with conviction and being convinced 
that God is all over this, that God is all over your life, that God is spilling out of your life, and whether it's difficult or whether it's easy, that you can rejoice and thank him because he will remain true to his name. Other people might change, other circumstances might change, but Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is what we thank him for. So those are the two. There's the third. I think the first two may be easier than the third. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to be characterized as a people who willingly arrange our lives under each other. Unlike the ways of the world, unlike the, the, the dog-eat-dog world that we live, on, live in, the, I got to get ahead and I'll step on you if I, have to get a, if I have to in order to get ahead, we are completely different as a community of God's people. Those people are filled with the Spirit of God, so recognized that their master is the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are able to willingly arrange, that's what this word means, willingly arrange our life under each other for the glory of God and to uh, advertise that our real master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that has implications in every arena of our life. That's where he goes from here. He talks about in our husband and wife relationships, in our parenting relationships, in our employment, we use employment relationships, all of our lives change because of this. Now, let me show you the changes that take place. We're going to take three categories, the in marriage, the parenting, and uh, in an in a, a, a employment scenario. Keep in mind that submissiveness to other believers is so that our God-given relational structures reflect Christ as our real master, and not only that, but that we fully benefit from the resource that each other is to one another. See, this is what this is about, whether it be husbands and wives or parents or employers or employees. God is arranging our relationships and establishing how we're to relate to one another, not just for his glory and to demonstrate his glory, but also to, ref also to enable us to benefit from the resourcing that he gives to all of us through what he does in our lives and how he does it through relationships. So a, a, a wife, for instance, can enjoy all the benefits of her husband. Children can enjoy all the benefits of their parents. A slave can change the whole agenda of his life from enslavement to empowerment just by serving the Lord. I want to show you this because this is pretty, pretty amazing what God can do. So let's start within marriage. We've been over this kind of stuff so many times. You've seen this many, many times. But I hope you understand that Christianity changed everything. In the first century, when, the, when, this, when Christianity came on the scene, uh, women were mistreated. They were demeaned by all men. Virtually all the legal benefits of, the, of social society went to the favor of men. Most women were kept uneducated, and in some places in the world still are. Christianity changed everything. It freed women. 
It, it made such a dramatic change in, in how, the, how uh, life unfolded that Paul actually has to write in here about different structures. It gave equal value to the two genders. Galatians 3, 28. It, it demonstrated the manifold wisdom of God in creation that authority and submission work. That it isn't because of the fall that there's authority and submission. It was always a design of God. And it works. It's how people relate to each other in the best way. Sadly, in our world, the unwise ways of our world, chauvinism, feminism, egalitarianism, are the unwise models of these evil days. They are man-centered attempts to solve sin-entrenched problems. God has a better way for us here. And I want to show it to you. It is, as, as we embark upon these relationships, let me just say this, that, that Scripture-centered living for Spirit-filled saints has pleasing Christ as the central goal. You will never embrace these teachings. You will never welcome them in your life until you come to the place in your life where pleasing Christ is all that matters. Uh, these things will rub up against you the wrong way. They will, be, they will uh, cost you. They will be difficult. But, on, but if you have pleasing Christ as the central goal of your life, these will not be a burden. You will be empowered by these teachings. So out of reverence for Christ, verse 21, the word submit here isn't even used in verse 22. It says, it literally says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, to your own husbands. Out of reverence for Christ, and not reverence for our culture, or to please your convenience or your comfort, but out of reverence for Christ, spirit-saturated wives submit to the headship of their husband. If you don't submit to your husband, ladies, you are not a spirit-filled woman. It is not possible to be a spirit-filled woman and disobey what we're told here, what we're taught here. Now, by the way, you are not called upon here, ladies, to submit to every man. You are called to submit to your husband. You are to, you are to voluntarily, willingly um, arrange your life under your husband's leadership as the church responds to Christ in the same way now of course we know that Christ leads the church in the will of God and in the ways of God in the best interests of the church this is what's the expectation of the husband keep in mind that these these presentations are presented to us in the ideal scenario where both husband and wife are spirit-filled the problem for us is we have so many broken examples that we can't envision what this would work like if uh, if we actually saw it happening and so we take it apart, we take it apart piece by piece and say, well, how is this going to work unless this works? And how is that going to work unless this works? And, the, and the, the simple reality is it's difficult. 
The call here is the the ideal spirit-filled family because your address is in Christ. He presents here the ideal, what is possible, what it can be and what it should be and what it would be and the best way it could be. So the appeal to you is not to say, well, what's the lowest common denominator? The appeal to all of us this morning is to say, what would it be like if my address really was in Christ and I really was living filled with the Spirit and my wife was really living filled with the Spirit and my kids were really living filled with the Spirit and the workplace was filled with the spirit that's what we're presenting here a spirit-filled woman will yield to the healthy hard calls of their husbands to live wisely for God you listening both part both partners you're yielding to the healthy hard calls of their husband to live wisely for God in other words what's the spirit-filled husband trying to do he's seeking to lead his wife to make wise choices to live according to the will of God that's what he does that's the call of the husband it's this ladies is how you advertise your total devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ by submitting to him submitting to Christ it is an act of dying to yourself But you will benefit from the value intended you by God's gift of your husband. It is how you learn to submit to Christ. Likewise, out of reverence for Christ, spirit-saturated husbands surrender their self-centeredness in order to sacrificially love their wives. A man submits to Christ by willingly dying to himself so that he can love his wife the way Christ loves the church. In order to be a gift, guys, to your wife, to your submissive wife, you have to honor her devotion to the Lord through your selflessness. A man cannot be the head that he's supposed to be unless he is filled with the Spirit. If you don't love your wife the way Christ loves the church, you cannot call yourself a Spirit-filled man. Unfortunately, we have examples of bossy women and baby men instead of the way it should be. This, is call, this, guys, is not a call for, to be a baby man. You're to make the hard call, the wise call, the right call, the will of God call, even when your wife doesn't like it. This is not for wimps or weak or conflict-avoidant cowards, which too many men are. Just trying to get along, just trying to survive another day. Man, step up to your role and your responsibility. Stop being selfish. Start sacrificially loving your wife. This is not for tyrants. It's not for the insecure. It's not for those who are unsure of their own worth. And by the way, men in Paul's day provided food and shelter and did whatever they pleased. Wait a second. That sounds very familiar. That sounds too much like our day. Although many men are not providing food, they're not providing shelter, they're just doing whatever they please. That's not a spirit-filled man. That's an unwise man. That's a foolish man. That's a man of the world. And by the way, that a man would self, 
sacrifice, deny himself that he might please his wife was earth-shattering in the first century. Literally earth-shattering that a man would actually do this through the power of God. It was a, such a demonstration of the power of a real God that a man could actually do this. To love his wife as his own body. To find out what pleases her with tenderness and nurture. To help her to excel. To benefit her as she submits to him that she might move closer to the Lord. Because that's what this is all about. There's a whole section here about presenting her without blemish and holy and blameless. Spirit-filled men provide for their wives physically, emotionally, spiritually, and protect them from abuse and injustice. That's what spirit-filled men do. Spirit-filled men in every way correct the fall of Adam who stood by and watched his wife sample what was supposed to kill her and did nothing to get in the way. What kind of a husband would do such a thing? He allowed her to sample that forbidden fruit, which was stated that if she did, she would surely die, and he watched to see if she would die so that he could go for it, go for it himself. A spirit-filled man completely reduces or completely corrects the fall of Adam. Neglect is now placed in the realm of absurdity. That a man would neglect his flesh, his own flesh, is absurd. That a man would, would uh, um, abuse his own flesh places him in the, the, the uh, community of dark paganism. There is no place for that with any man who has the address in Christ. What about in parenting? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In parenting, by the way, this is the place of, of, of discipleship. This is the primary and number one place of discipling children, is in the home. This is the original discipling community, is the family, the home. And so in spirit-saturated homes, children obey and honor their parents, for the Lord's sake, because this is right, because God says it's right. Children are held to this action of obedience and this attitude of honor. And they are held accountable by God as moral agents. Unfortunately, we have too, way too many parents who are obeying their children. We have a completely topsy-turvy culture. The reason it's so difficult to be an educator today, and I, my heart goes out to them, is because way too many of the children are actually in charge of the family. And then they think they should be in charge of the school. And I can tell you what's going to happen to you who are employers. They're going to think that they should be in charge of your business. Because we don't know how to raise children. You have to fire your children. They're not in charge. They're not the boss. And by the way, it says that children should obey their parents, father and mother. Far too many parents are pulled apart by children who play one parent against the other. Listen, if mom says something, that's the way it goes. You can have some sort of discussion in private about it later, but you better not show any break in your alliance as mother and father. You better not give the kids any idea that uh, mother means nothing. 
father and mother. In my home, there was no wait till your father gets home. Mother took care of things. And that's the way it should be. At stake is the preservation of God's truth to the next generation. Do we understand what's at stake here? The child enjoying a full lifespan intended for them. You see what it says here? That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you really love your kids, you will pay attention to this. You will teach them to obey and respect you. Because it, their lifespan depends upon it. Listen, God has demonstrated his, his willingness to cut life short. So the promise here is that uh, obeying the Lord is healthy. And it's a key foundational building block for our social and spiritual order. Respect for authority, respect for God versus social chaos and deconstruction of our society. Children, by the way, are not your friends. They're your children. If you make them your friends, you will have trouble making the hard calls. You will treat them as colleagues instead of children who need to have foolishness chased far away from them. Spirit-saturated fathers do not cause anger and bitterness to build in their children. Rather, their spirit-filled authenticity reaches their children's hearts with God's truth. Notice what it says here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The flip side of all of this. Listen, you want them to obey you and you want them to respect you? Well, there's a responsibility that you have. I think there's been several times where my kids have said, pulled this verse out on me. Stop exasperating me because I'm, I'm kind of by nature a teaser. I love teasing people. When I'm not spirit-filled, I'm teasing-filled. Moms and dads, fathers particularly, don't exasperate your children because you don't want to build in their lives anger and bitterness towards you. Because if they are angry and bitter towards you, they won't listen to you. They won't pay attention to you. And they won't love the God you love because you won't have any credibility with your kids. There are a number of ways that we can exasperate them, that we can cause bitterness and anger. I'm going to give you a quick list of things to avoid. Avoid overprotection and smothering. Get the great kazoo helmets and the elbow pads off your kids. Let them experience some pain in life. Crying out loud. Favoritism. Pushing relentless achievement. Oh, you got an A. Why couldn't you have got an A plus? They'll get discouraged. Praiselessness. Praise your kids for everything. Everything good, everything right. When they serve the Lord. Making them feel unwanted. Embarrassing them publicly for failures and weaknesses. Don't do that. Holding love hostage to behavior. Intimidation over loving correction arbitrariness, inconsistency, unreliability, unfairness. You can go on and on and on. There's, there's lists of bad parenting. And many of us have tried out all of them. And it's by the grace of God that our children accomplish anything. But we can do a lot through the strength of God. Finally, let me wrap this up with this section on slaves and masters. First of all... Um, the, the economy, the basic setting of the Old Testament and the early New Testament was slaves and masters. You'd, uh, you'd 
you devastate a culture and you take people captivity and they become your slaves. But in some cases, this, the slave situation was, uh, was the way people lived and the way they, they had shelter, the way they were able to live. The, the Bible, Paul at this point is not making a statement uh, pro or con slavery. What he is saying to all of us, and this is all I want to say this morning from this, is this. Regardless of what your situation, how bad it might be, the lowest of slave, if you live a spirit-filled life, and you live as if Christ is your master, you can be emancipated, you can be set free, you can be liberated, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so he sets this agenda and makes this point. Spirit-saturated people, no matter who they are, no matter what employment or slavery situation they're in, if they are under authority, they are to obey, to respect, to fear, and to sincerely and wholeheartedly serve their slave master or their employer as if their real employer is Christ. Now, what does that do? Because he makes the point here, I want you to know that um, I'm watching everything. The Lord says, I see everything. So I don't want you serving them just when their eye is on you. I want you to serve from your heart. I want you to serve wholeheartedly. I want you to testify to the life-transforming work in your life in front of whatever hard taskmaster you're serving. It's an, it's an opportunity for you to express the reality of God. And in so doing, I'm going to make promises to you. You may be being undervalued and underpaid or undercompensated or whatever, but I don't miss a thing, Jesus says. I see every single thing. And what if I were to say to you that I'm going to make a promise to you that I will compensate you when you get home? Now, he doesn't mean I'll compensate you when you get back to your earthly address. But what God is promising all of us, no matter what circumstance or situation we're under, if we will live the spirit-filled life and we will take the sacrifice that comes with that and deny ourselves and maybe the hardship that comes with that, God will reward us when we get home. That's the promise. He keeps score. And so this great promise, that's why Jesus said to the, in, in Matthew 5, 41, when he was giving ethics of living in the kingdom, he says, listen, if someone says to you, I want you to go one mile with me, go two. Why did he say that to them? He said that to them because that frees you. You see, the law permitted for a Roman centurion to come up and ask anybody, I want you to be my armor bearer for one mile. And you had to carry his armor for one mile. Well, you can go ahead and carry his armor for one mile, Jesus says, if you want. And you can consider it injustice if you want. And you can pout and mope about it if you want. But I want to suggest to you that I'd like to set you free. Why don't you decide to be the boss? Why don't you decide to go two miles? You say, you're not going to be the boss over me. I serve the living Christ. I'm going to give him my heart. I'm going to do what, what, what makes him look good. I'll walk two miles. It emancipates you. It sets you free, whether you're a slave or under a hard taskmaster. You set the agenda. Why don't you work as hard as you can? Why don't you set your own goals? Why don't you work over the goals that you've been called to work? Why don't you demonstrate that you're really actually empowered to serve the living Christ? You don't have to treat it as if it's injustice. You can treat it as if it's a privilege to serve Christ. 
It changes the whole orientation. It empowers. The spirit-filled employer, employee gives his best always because God's eyes are always open. And he rewards the undervalued and underappreciated servant. And likewise, he says to the master, the spirit-saturated employer will handle those placed under them by God with great care and respect because all people belong to Christ. And he's the real master of all. That's why it says in the same way, treat your slaves in the same way. Your rank means nothing to God. Before the throne of the Almighty, everybody's on a level playing field. So the spirit-filled employer finds ways to motivate partnership over owner-dictatorship since all servants will answer to God. You'll give an account for how you've treated God's property. That puts it in a whole different way, doesn't it? The spirit-filled person in family, in parenting, marriage, and in the workplace. Christians have been empowered to be the best employers and the best employees in all the world. Now, my question is this. Are you a spirit-filled employer? Are you a spirit-filled employee? Do, do people long to see a resume come in from a Christian? Say, wow, I, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to hire a Christian because they're the best, best workers you can get. Sadly, that's not been the stories that I've heard way too often. When we are spirit-filled people, we are the very best employers. People long to work for us. We are the very best employees. People long to hire us. When we are spirit-filled wives, we are the very best wife. When we are spirit-filled husbands, we are the very best husband. People look at husbands and wives and long for their husband or wife to be like that spirit-filled one. When we are spirit-filled children, we are the best children. When we are spirit-filled fathers and mothers, we are the best parents. This is not shrinking us down to rules and regulations. This is expanding and empowering us to be all that God has for us. So what about you? Our Father, this morning, as we have taken a practical look at what it means to live in the address in Christ, to be filled with the power of God, to have Christ as our master, and then not only that, but to be empowered by the filling of the Spirit to live a certain way. Father, I suspect that we see where we fall short this morning. It's because we do not embrace the step-by-step -step willingness to be filled with the Spirit of God. If we would set aside our sins, if we would set aside ourself, if we would saturate ourselves with the Scriptures, we would be the best wife, the best husband, the best child, the best parent, and the best employee, and the best employer. And Lord, I'm calling upon the collective will of this congregation to settle for nothing less than that in our lives. For your great glory's sake, I pray. Amen.